Chapter 4 He who attempts to penetrate into the rose garden of the philosophers without the key resembles a man who would walk without feet. Michael Meyer, Atalanta Fugians, Oppenheim, Debris, 1618 Emblem 27 That was the only file that had been printed out. I would have to go through the disks on the computer. They were arranged by number, and I thought I might as well start with the first. But Belbo had mentioned a password. He had always been possessive with Abulathia's secrets. When I loaded the machine, a message promptly appeared. Do you have the password? Not in the imperative. Belbo was a polite man. The machine doesn't volunteer its help. It must be given the word. Without the word, it won't talk. As though it were saying, Yes, what you want to know is right here in my guts. Go ahead and dig, dig, old mole. You'll never find it. <laughs> we'll see about that, I said to myself. You got such a kick out of playing with Diotalevi's permutations and combinations, and you were the Sam Spade of publishing. As Jacopo Belbo would have said, Find the Falcon. The password to get into Abulafia had to be seven letters or fewer. Letters or numbers. How many groups of seven could be made from all the letters of the alphabet, including the possibility of repetition, since there was no reason the word couldn't be cadabra? I knew the formula. The number was six billion and something. A giant calculator capable of running through all six billion at the rate of a million per second would still have to feed them to a bulafia one at a time, and it took a bulafia about ten seconds to ask for the password and verify it. That made sixty billion seconds. There were over thirty-one million seconds in a year, say thirty to have a round figure. It would take, therefore, two thousand years to go through all the possibilities. Nice work. I would have to proceed instead by inductive guesswork. What word would Belbo have chosen? Was it a word he had decided on at the start, when he began using the machine? Or was it one he had come up with only recently, when he realized that these disks were dangerous? and that, for him at least, the game was no longer a game. This would make a big difference. Better assume the latter, I thought. Belbo feels he is being hunted by the plan, which he now takes seriously, as he told me on the phone. For a password, then, he would use some term connected with our story. But maybe not. A term associated with the tradition might also occur to them. Then I thought, what if they had already broken into the apartment and made copies of the disks and were now at this very moment trying all the combinations of letters in some remote place, using the supreme computer in a castle in the Carpathians? Nonsense, I told myself. They weren't computer people. They would use the Notaricon, the Gematria, the Temura, treating the disks like the Torah, and therefore would require as much time as had passed since the writing of the Sefer Yasira. Now, if they existed, they would proceed cabalistically, and if Belbo believed that they existed, he would follow the same path. Just to be on the safe side, I tried the ten sephirot. Keter, Chokma, Bina, Chesed, Gevura, Tiferet, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, Malkut. They didn't work, of course. It was the first thing that would have occurred to anyone. Still, the word had to be something obvious, something that would come to mind at once, because when you work on a text as obsessively as Belbo must have during the past few days, you can't think of anything else, of any other subject. 
It would not be human for him to drive himself crazy over the plan and at the same time pick Lincoln or Mombasa for the password. The password had to be connected with the plan. But what? I tried to put myself inside Belbo's head. He had been chain-smoking, as he wrote, and drinking. I went to the kitchen for a clean glass, found only one, poured myself the last of the whiskey, sat down at the keyboard again, leaned back in the chair, and propped my feet on the table. I sipped my drink—wasn't that how Sam Spade did it? Or was it Philip Marlowe? And looked around. The books were too far away. I couldn't read the titles on their spines. I finished the whiskey, shut my eyes, opened them again. Facing me was the seventeenth-century engraving, a typical Rosicrucian allegory of the period, rich in coded messages addressed to the members of the fraternity. Obviously it depicted the Temple of the Rosy Cross, a tower surmounted by a dome in accordance with the Renaissance iconographic model, both Christian and Jewish, of the Temple of Jerusalem, reconstructed on the pattern of the Mosque of Omar. The landscape around the tower was incongruous and inhabited incongruously, like one of those rebuses where you see a palace, a frog in the foreground, a mule with its pack, and a king receiving a gift from a page. In the lower left was a gentleman emerging from a well, clinging to a pulley that was attached, through ridiculous winches, to some point inside the tower, the rope passing through a circular window. In the center were a horseman and a wayfarer. On the right, a kneeling pilgrim held a heavy anchor as though it were his staff. Along the right margin, almost opposite the tower, was a precipice from which a character with a sword was falling, and on the other side, foreshortened, stood Mount Ararat, the ark aground on its summit. In each of the upper corners was a cloud illuminated by a star that cast oblique rays along which two figures floated, a nude man in the coils of a serpent and a swan. At the top center a nimbus was surmounted by the word Oriens, and bore Hebrew letters from which the hand of God emerged to hold the tower by a string. The tower moved on wheels. Its main part was square, with windows, a door, and a drawbridge on the right. Higher up there was a kind of gallery with four observation turrets, each turret occupied by an armed man who waved a palm branch and carried a shield decorated with Hebrew letters. Only three of these men were visible. The fourth had to be imagined, since he was behind the octagonal dome, from which rose a lantern, also octagonal, with a pair of great wings affixed. Above the winged lantern was another smaller cupola, with a quadrangular turret whose open arches, supported by slender columns, revealed a bell inside. To the final small four-vaulted dome at the top was tied the thread held by the hand of God. The word Fa-slash-Ma appeared here, and above that a scroll that read, Collegium Fraternitatis. There were other oddities. An enormous arm, out of all proportion to the figures, jutted from a round window in the tower on the left. It held a sword, and belonged perhaps to the winged creature shut up in the tower. From a similar window on the right jutted a great trumpet. Once again, a trumpet. The number of openings in the tower drew my attention. There were too many of them, and the ones in the dome were too regular, whereas the ones in the base seemed random. Since only half the tower was shown in this orthogonal perspective, you could assume that symmetry was preserved and the doors, windows, and portholes on this side were repeated in the same order on the other side. That would mean, altogether, four arches in the dome of the bell tower, eight windows in the lower dome, four turrets, six openings in the east and west facades, and fourteen in the north and south facades. I added it up. Thirty-six. For more than ten years that number had haunted me, the Rosicrucians. 
120 divided by 36 came to 3.333333, going to seven digits. Almost too perfect, but it was worth a try. I tried and failed. It occurred to me then that the same number multiplied by two yielded the number of the beast, 666. That guess also proved too far-fetched. Suddenly I was struck by the nimbus in the middle, the divine throne. The Hebrew letters were large. I could see them from my chair. But Belbo couldn't write Hebrew on Abulafia. I took a closer look. I knew them, of course, from right to left. Yod, He, Vaf, He. The Tetragrammaton. Yahweh, the name of God.